We're continuing in our study. We welcome you to High Point Church of Brandon, the Sunday school class this morning. Wonderful lesson. And we're continuing in our study in the book of Hebrews. And I want to start with Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. We're going to read through verse 9. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. That's not where I want to start. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. I didn't think I recognized that. Hebrews 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. And back in verse 5, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that God did not create the earth for the angels. To go a little bit further, The heaven that we read about through the word of God, God did not create that for the angels. He created all of that for man. But because of Adam and Eve's initial sin, they kind of messed that up for everybody. In verses 6 through 8 of this passage this morning, the writer quotes Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. We're not going to go there. But in this passage that he's quoting, David is wondering why God cares for humans when they seem so insignificant when compared to the vastness of the universe. What is man that you're mindful of him? God, why do you even care about man? And David goes on to say in that same passage that God had crowned man with glory and honor. Man was intended initially, in verse 8, to rule over the earth. It says in verse 8 that God left nothing that is not subject to him. In other words, the, the earth was created for man. Man was made that he would rule over all the things of the earth. And that's God's initial plan in creation. And that's what David was talking about. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting that to make a point. He's trying to get to something that man was made to be something very special. And initially man was immortal and and they would not die and, and they would have rule over everything around them. But it goes on to say, yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. In other words... Even though that was God's plan, when you look around, you don't see that happening. There is a certain amount of control that man has over the earth, but he is not in complete control. Why? It goes back to again to Adam's sin. And Adam's sin impaired us to be the rulers that God had intended for us to become. The phrase back in verse 7 of that God had made man a little lower than the angels. That I've always wondered about that. And 
the definite or the translation of that could also be translated as that for a little while lower. In other words, temporarily they were made lower than the angels. And if you take it in that that context, it means that right now we are inferior to angels. We're a little lower than the angels because angels are immortal and we are mortal. Angels do not die. People die. But if you look at the the translation of temporarily a little lower, it means that at some point we will regain that status. The Bible says that after the resurrection that we will put off mortality and we will take on immortality. So right now, if we look at this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, right now we are a little lower than the angels. That was not God's ultimate plan, but right now we are. The writer goes on to say that Jesus became a man, and he too, when he became a man, became a little lower than the angels. That was a temporary thing also. The difference between Adam and Jesus is that Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the idea that God had intended for man to start with. You see, if Adam and Eve would have not eaten from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, they would have lived forever. They'd probably be in Sunday school today. Maybe not. But Jesus fulfilled the idea that man had, that God had for man. All things are subject to him. Remember, David said that, speaking of man, that all things were supposed to be subject to him. But we know that now that all things are subject to Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says that he too was temporarily made a little lower than the angels. Romans 8 and 3 says it this way. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. So in other words, in God's overall grand scheme of plans, Jesus became a man and came to earth to live as a man. Let's look a little bit further. In Hebrews 4 and 15, we see that he wasn't just the typical man. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So the plan was for us to be that. But Adam and Eve kind of messed that up from the beginning. So everyone that was ever born after them was a sinner. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, was obedient all the way to the point that he died for all the sins of mankind. And if you go back to our scripture text today, in verse 9, it says, Now he is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Because he lived a sinless life. 
because he overcame temptation, because he was obedient to his purpose on earth to the point that he was willing to give his life, now he is crowned with glory and honor. Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 13. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. I want to stop here just a minute. I told the worship team this morning, earlier in the week, when I read this passage of Scripture, as I read through the entire lesson text, I read it, and when I was done, if you would have asked me what it meant, I went, I don't know. And I'd read it again, and I'd look at it and say, I still don't understand. I have no idea what this writer was trying to get across. It looked like just words. And all that I was hearing was kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. And that's all I could hear. But as I started studying and I really caught a, a glimpse of what the writer was trying to get across, it all started falling into place. And if you would, just for a few moments this morning, follow me through this plan that is detailed out in this short passage of Scripture. Let's start over again. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children of God has given me. Christ is referred in verse 10 as the author of our salvation. We have to look at it this way. Christ was made perfect through his sinful life, his obedience, his enduring the trials to the point where he was crucified. That was how he was made perfect. Our salvation is brought about by this perfection. Should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He was made perfect through suffering and our salvation comes because of his perfection. It was God's plan that those who trusted in Christ, as we would call believers and those that are saved, have accepted salvation, would share in the glory that was bestowed on Jesus. Remember, initially, God had intended for us to receive this glory and honor because everything was supposed to be subject to us. But because of sin, man couldn't take that. But then Jesus came to the earth as a man And because of his suffering, all of a sudden, we are now entitled to a portion of that glory and honor. How cool is that? Verse 11 says that after we have received salvation, we are made holy. And in turn, when we have been made holy, we become part of the same family. Not because of who we are. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ did. Because of his suffering, 
because of His perfection through His suffering, we are made family to Him. And it goes on to say that He calls us brothers because we have been made sons of God. You see how it's starting to all fall together now. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, and this is where it all comes together, so really watch this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's go back to that verse 14. In order to redeem the lost, who were flesh and blood, that's what we are. We are flesh and blood. We're not immortal. But because we are flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood so that his death could provide redemption. He came like, he became like us so that his sacrifice would redeem us. You with me so far? When Jesus died, he was buried. He rose from the grave. He broke the, the, the hold of death that Satan had over man. Verse 15 says that Satan held men in fear of death. And Jesus through Calvary freed believers from this fear of death. All of a sudden there was no reason to be afraid of dying. Death was not a bad thing. It was what we lived our life as Christians all of that time so that we could receive the reward. He goes on to say that this death, burial, and resurrection was not for the angels. He started off this passage saying that the earth wasn't created for the angels. And now he's even clarifying it a little bit more that all of what Jesus did was not for the angels. Jesus didn't die to save the angels. The angels can't sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Angels can't sing that. Why? Because this scripture right here says, it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. You say, but I'm not Jewish. Through all of this, going back to the scriptures we just read a few minutes ago, we have become part of the family. Through salvation... What does it say Jesus can call us brothers because now we are sons of God? So, spiritually speaking, we are descendants of Abraham. So when we put it all together up to this point, we can see that it's not for the angels. It's for us that all this was done. Everything that Jesus went through in his life 
was for us. In order to represent mankind, Jesus came to earth like a man. But it was only by being tempted and tried and being triumphant over that, it was only by being triumphant over every temptation, over every test that ever came his way, only by experiencing suffering as a man could Jesus become what is, in this scripture says, our high priest. And he not only became the high priest, he became the sacrifice. And by going through all of that, he became the high priest and the sacrifice that would provide atonement for all men that had ever lived and that ever would live. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. I wasn't going to use this story, but I I want to put this story in. There was a couple that had a couple children. They had two daughters. And when their first son was born, as soon as he was born, they realized that their life would never be the same. The boy's legs were severely disfigured, and, and they knew that he would never walk. And as he grew up, all the children loved their mom and dad, but the boy especially loved his dad. And he wanted to be just like his dad. His father was an architect, and the little boy wanted to be an architect just like his dad. And as the little boy got older, the father actually had a wheelchair built for himself. And they would go and look at building structures. And the father would be in a wheelchair with the son. And they would sit at the drafting table together. And the father in his wheelchair, the son in his. And because of that, they could see everything from the same perspective. And the whole reason for doing that is the father became like the son so that the son could become like his father. And that's what Jesus did for us. He became man like us so that through that, we could become like Him. Romans 8 and 28. We like this verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of them who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. We can read that and just shout. But there's a verse 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ooh. We don't get nearly as excited about that one as we did verse 28. But the same theme carries through here, that we are to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Why? so that it makes him the firstborn of many brothers. Again, there's that family tie in there. That when we become like him, when we have accepted salvation in our life, then we have become part of the family of God. Our goal as Christians is to become like Christ. Or as Paul wrote here, speaking of God, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son.
Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is God's plan for each of us that we are transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Galatians 4 and 19, Paul wrote that his goal was to labor with the Galatians. Let's just read. My dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I will labor with you until you become like Christ. Until Christ is in you. Because that is the ultimate goal is for us To be like Christ. We call ourselves Christians. And we've used that word so loosely. But Christian means that we're Christ-like. But there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that aren't very Christ-like. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 14, 4 and 13... This is our goal. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We strive and we strive and we strive for what? To look a certain way? No. So that we know all the right things to say? No. So that we know whether when we raise our hands, we turn our palms out or in or towards the middle? No. To obtain the measure of the fullness of Christ. It's not about all this outside stuff. It's to become like Christ in here. And the key in this whole scripture is attaining that whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And how do we go grow towards that goal? When we truly become like Christ, we have a new identity. And not just a new identity, but we have a new purpose for life. But then... We start talking about being like Christ and there are some that say, well, how can I be like Jesus when he was God manifest in the flesh? That's not fair. He had kind of an advantage. There you go. But remember this. Jesus' life on earth was not all about doing miracles and speaking great words. When Jesus walked long distances, his feet hurt. When he was working in the carpenter shop with his dad, if he hit his finger, it hurt. I'm not sure what he said when he did that, but when it was hot, he would sweat. And when he sweat, he probably smelled bad. When it was cold, he needed a jacket. 
And it wasn't just in those ways that he became like us. The Bible says that when Lazarus died, who was a very close friend, Jesus stood outside the tomb and he wept for the loss of his friend. I believe that when he chased the money changers from the temple and he fashioned a whip and he chased them out and knocked over the tables, that as he was doing it, he probably gritted his teeth a little bit. Righteous indignation. When he was at a, a party and people laughed, I believe that he laughed along with them. When children gathered around him, I believe it made him smile. When someone told a joke, I think he probably laughed if it was funny. And when his closest friends forsook him, I believe his heart felt like it was going to burst out of his chest. The same way we felt when we got our heart broken for the first time. He felt that. And why did this have to happen? It had to happen to show that He was just like us. With emotions, with feelings, and so that we couldn't say, He doesn't understand. But He doesn't know. He does. He really does. So what is this new person, us, supposed to be like? This new self is described in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is this new self supposed to be like? Like God. Like God in righteousness and holiness. What a concept. We are to be like God. And the way that we know how God is is by the way Jesus was when he was on earth. And so people say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do that. And I'll do that so that when, when the rapture takes place, I'll be ready to go. Let me just tell you something this morning. We are to be like God, not just at the time of the rapture or the resurrection, but we're to be like him in this life. Last week in our lesson, we talked about Jesus showed us what God would look like if he came to earth in flesh. That's what Jesus was. He was God wrapped in flesh. So when God says, I want you to be like me in righteousness and holiness, who do we look to for the example? Jesus. Why? Because he became like us. He felt all the things that we feel. Not just the bad things, he felt the good things too. 
as we did. We are not hoping to be just like Christ in the next life. We are to be like Him in this life. I believe there's some people that think that when they get to heaven, they're going to become holy. That's not the way it works. If you're not heading in that direction all the, all, already, you won't have anything to worry about. Because you won't be there. Now obviously we don't have to look like Jesus physically. Although I don't know exactly what he looked like, but I, I think most of the pictures that we see of Jesus are probably not very accurate because we see him as kind of this little wimpy guy. And I don't think he was anything like that. I think he was this rugged, tough guy that grew up in a carpenter's shop. Everybody knows Brother Leonard Bennett? He was a carpenter. His hands are just, he's got fingers that big around. Probably from banging him with a hammer. I'm not sure. But his, his arms are, even as he's gotten older, his arms are big. And I believe that's the way Jesus was. He wasn't this little skinny, wimpy guy. I mean, after all, this is a guy that went in the, into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. If he started off a 40-day fast being that little skinny, wimpy guy, that would have been tough. So we're not supposed to just become like him so that we look like him. We're not supposed to be able to match the skills he had as a carpenter or his language skills or his knowledge of agriculture or Roman history and all the things he knew. Rather, we are to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. In our behavior and in our devotion to God, that's what we're supposed to be like. The idea is that we are to be transformed. Remember the old man that was supposed to be the ruler of all the earth, and then because of Adam's sin, they didn't manage to do that. But then Jesus came along and he did accomplish that. We are supposed to be transformed from that old Adam-type man to the new Jesus-type man. And how is this transformation accomplished? Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in Romans 12 and 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Colossians 3 and 10 says, And we have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. When we are transformed, it affects our heart, our mind, and when our heart and mind is affected, it will affect our behavior. And all of these things work together to help us to be transformed to be like Christ. 
The mind alone is not enough. It's not enough if our mind is transformed. Because if just our mind is involved, then we can be just like the devils that believe, but they don't obey Him. If we know it, that's not enough. Even knowing what we call the truth is not enough. Because we can't just hear, we have to do. Matthew 7 and 24 Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It doesn't say everyone that hears these words is like a wise man that built his house on the rock. It says, and puts them into practice. Coming to church and hearing the word of God taught and preached and even going home and reading your Bible and praying will not do that transformation. Until you do what you're supposed to do. James 1 and 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There are churches full of people that are sitting and listening to the word And because they sat in church this morning and they heard the word of God go forth, they walk outside the door and call themselves a Christian. And I'm Christ-like because I heard the word. You know what? The Bible right there says, do what it says. If we hear it and it doesn't change our lives, we have not accomplished anything. Behavior alone is not enough. If we go through the motions without really believing in God. You see, it's, it's, we have to believe, but we have to act. But if we act and we don't really believe, it's just as bad. Because when we go through the motions without really believing in who God is, then we're just acting. And even if we believe in God and do the right actions, if our heart is not where it's supposed to be, our worship is in vain. You can walk through that door and you can have your sleeves buttoned down to here and you can have your skirt down to here and you can make sure that your shoes are closed in and your toes aren't showing. And you can have your hair piled up to where you have to duck to get in the door. But you know what? If it's not in your heart, that's exactly the way you look when you're going to get to hell. You know... And some of you would probably say, well, you should apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick to death of people thinking that they can look a certain way and because they look a certain way that they are saved when there's nothing in their heart. They have not been any more transformed into the way of Christ than this bottle of water. We could put a label on this and put a little smiley face on it and say, look at that, it's a Christian. You know what? It's a bottle of water. That's all it'll ever be. 
And if you and I do the exact same thing, we can paint a smiley face on and we can look like something that we're not. If it's not in our heart, we have not been changed. We cannot go to heaven if we have not been transformed. There will not be anybody in heaven that is there on some type of a a loaner program or an internship to learn the way that it works. It's what's here. Because when it's here, all of those other things, they'll take care of themselves. If we know what the Word says, if we believe what the Word says, and we have become transformed in here, all of those other things fall into place. If we stand in church and and we sing praises to God and we have no affection for Him at all, then we're just a bunch of hypocrites. We have become, as the writer said, a sounding brass or a a tinkling cymbal. It's meaningless. I talked to our worship team this morning. We can stand up here and we can say all the words and we can sing all the parts right and we can have all the music just like it's supposed to be and we can raise our hands. But if it's not in here, it's useless. I'll share something with you that I shared with them this morning. I believe that what we have lost in our churches is that awe of God. That absolute awe of who He is. We talk about being transformed, but when we are standing in awe of who God is and we say that we want to be transformed to be like Him, we'll be something special. We need right beliefs. We need right actions. We need right emotions. And if our heart is right and our beliefs are right, right behavior will be the result. I won't have to come to you and say, you know, you just better quit doing that or you're going to split hell wide open. Because if your heart is right and your beliefs are right, God will have already spoken to you long before I ever get around to it. We want right behavior. But we need to remember that right behavior is a result of the other things, not the ultimate goal. We are not trying to act right. We are to be right. God is not transforming us to act like Jesus. He's transforming us to be like Jesus. You go, what's the difference? 
I can stand here and act like a tree. But I can't be a tree. When our heart and mind are Christ-like, our behavior will be Christ-like. As we strive to become like Jesus, our Savior, our Teacher, I believe we really especially need to look at our relationships. Look at Jesus and His relationships to those around Him. He was committed to people He loved the lost. His heart went out to those who didn't know. He didn't care who they were. The woman at the well that nobody even wanted to talk to, he sat down and talked to her. This afternoon I was walking around my office outside and there was a couple ambulances and there's a trailer park behind my office and there's a couple ambulances and police there's three abandoned trailers right behind the office and the ambulances left the police stayed so every now and then I'd walk outside and look the next thing I know there were more police there and they brought out the yellow crime scene tape. They started wrapping it around. And then I saw this van pull up that said, crime scene investigation. And eventually everybody went away. And I saw somebody out there that I knew, and I said, what happened? Well, they... They found a homeless guy dead inside this trailer, said he'd been there for about three days. Mm. Did you know him? No, not really. Who was it? And he described him, and I said, yeah, I've seen him walking around. He wasn't very old. The guy goes, yeah, he was probably, they said maybe 55, 57. And we stood there and talked, and I said, you know, it came up that what little emotion took place around that hour or two that everything was going on was the full amount of emotion that would take place around this person's death. For most people, he was nobody. And as I stood there talking to this man, who's a very godly man, and I, I said, I never witnessed to. That's not the way Jesus was. Jesus wouldn't have cared who he was. He sat down with all types of people. When we are truly transformed, nothing will stop us from sharing what we have in our heart. 
Jesus was committed to people. He loved the lost. He, he chastised those who thought they were religiously superior to others. That religious superiority usually stemmed from those that practiced a works-oriented approach to worship. Look at me. I pray just right. I use all the right words. I can even say these and thous. And I'm holy. He was committed to a close relationship among believers. And another thing is that his disciples didn't just relate to him individually as students would towards their teacher, but he provided an example to them. Stay with me for a minute. He provided an example to them that they would also relate one to another. And by doing that, Jesus formed them into a body that would, when the time came and when it was needed, that body would provide a mutual support to the individual members because he knew they needed that closeness. They needed that bond. And Jesus didn't just want them bonded to him. He wanted them to be bonded to each other so that they could reach out to each other when he was gone because he knew they would need each other. And it created this community of believers that not only knew how to take care of each other, but it also encouraged them to reach out to others and to invite them in to be a part. Not to be satisfied with, well, we've got somebody to teach, we've got somebody to preach, we've got somebody to sing to us, we've got air conditioning pews I'm fine that wasn't the way it was supposed to be yes we are to have that bond with each other we need that but it doesn't stop and through all of these things that we've talked about we see that Jesus Christ really did Become like us. But why? Because he did become like us. He gave us this example. But now it's up to us to decide whether or not we want to follow that example. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you might through his poverty become rich. Jesus gave us all he had in becoming like us. And I will ask you today in closing, are you willing to give him your all? to become like Him. God bless you.